Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Now, we've done apparently a few things a little bit unorthodox this evening. Brother Osborne talked about a while ago the song that we normally sing at the end. We sang it at the beginning. Normally, you preach or teach up to a point, to a certain point of revelation. And uh, you just work up to a point and then you just drop it on your congregation. And that's the method to the madness. So since we've been doing everything else backwards, I'm going to do this backwards. So you were completely in order. This is reverse nine. So here's my revelation. I'm going to give it to you. Then we'll be seated. Then we'll talk about it for a couple hours. What do you think? Here it comes. Life isn't fair. Amen. You may be seated. Well, aren't you glad you got dressed and came to church tonight for that great impacting and encouraging word? Life isn't fair. That's not my sermon title. My sermon title is something I think we can all relate to, and that is faith under fire. Life isn't fair. I'm certain everyone in this house has either heard that statement or even made that statement before. We say that based on what we see, what we feel, what we think at the moment. And rightly so, under many circumstances. I mean, when you pick up the paper or tune in to whatever form of media source, the news most often leaves you with more questions than answers. I find alarmingly that the drunk drivers survive and the innocent are killed. And even though you you don't know the name or the faces associated to the story, it, it just gives birth to a question mark in your heart. I've seen a lot of good, moral, hardworking and faithful and loyal people become stricken with some sort of unexplainable terminal disease. And some of them in the prime of their lives. And then I've watched other people that abuse their bodies unmercifully. They have taken every conceivable drug and drink known to man and yet somehow bob and weave their way through life. Amen. Well, the clouds are a little low right now, but they'll come up in a moment. 
I'm just getting real right where we all live. I've watched unrighteous, unholy, and mean-spirited people prosper at everything they touch. And I've watched faithful and loyal people struggle to even make ends meet. We're not talking about living high on the hog. Just struggle to get through life. And, and so you ask yourself, what's going on with that? I mean, how can that make sense? And we often think if God is truly sovereign, if God is truly sovereign, he would be able to bless the righteous and also curse the wicked. And it's a good thing that we're not on the council of heaven. Have you ever wondered where the Lord was in your situation? Has heaven just seemed eerily silent when you poured out your petitions to the Lord? If you have, you are not alone. I'm not saying this to discourage you. I'm saying this to confirm something in your spirit here this evening. And that is this, there will be times in all of our lives when circumstances and situations are allowed to come along to, to cause us sometimes to even stumble on the journey. And it's in those times that we have to recognize something very significant. I, I realize that that what I'm talking about this evening cuts against the grain of the prosperity message and the, you know, how all that well, how all that works very well. But you need to recognize something very significant, and, and that is this, that not, or having victory sometimes in our life is not always the advancements of things that we're experiencing. Victory may not be found in the fact that we are just knocking down walls. Sometimes victory is found in the fact that we are standing firm on something that God has recently brought to us. Amen. And so I, I say tonight that when God brings something into our lives, I have to hold on to that. I've got to nail this to the wall. I may have shared this very statement with various ones of you through the years. I know I've shared it more than once. When people have gained small victories in their life, I have told them at that moment, you better hang on to this piece of real estate with everything you have. Because there will be days ahead that things will come to challenge the validity of that victory. And it may seem... Very, very significant in the moment. But a few days from now, weeks from now, or months from now, we may wonder why or if. And so I say we need to hold on to that with everything that we have. I want to turn your attention this evening to Psalm 73. And if you'll just begin with me at verse one, <clears throat> we're gonna consider this, this chapter in its entirety in parts. And so we're just gonna follow along. I'm thankful that we have it available on the screen, but don't let that be an excuse for leaving your Bible at home. 
Amen. So whatever form your Bible may be, it may be an iPad or a phone or something of that nature, but have some word with you. I want to talk about Asaph. And this is the psalm of Asaph. David, of course, was not the author of every psalm. You'll note that all throughout when you read psalms. Some of them are psalms of Moses and and, uh, various writers. But this happens to be a psalm of Asaph. And Asaph just for your own information, was a worship leader under the administration of King David. He was also a leader among the Israelites, and Asaph was a very godly man. And in this psalm, Asaph reveals his struggle with what he sees and what he is experiencing. Now, there's always a little bit of trepidation, and I I am a preacher and a pastor, and so because of that, many of my friends are preachers and pastors, and so there's one common thread that we all agree on, that sometimes when you're going to very familiar passages of Scripture, you do that with a great spirit of trepidation because you've already been there so many times. People are so familiar with it, you're afraid you're going to disconnect your audience right out of the gate. So I'm just going to ask you, even though you may have read the 73rd Psalm a hundred times, let's read it 101. What do you say? I find it refreshing that I can read Scripture and find people that face the same things that I face. Verse 1, truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. If we could just stop right there, we'd think we were right here in the middle of church and revival. And then all of a sudden, it's Monday morning. Verse two. But as for me, my feet were almost gone and my my steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, Neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore, his people return hither and waters are full are of a full cup and waters of a full, full cup are wrung out to them excuse me and he said how doth god know and is there knowledge in the most high behold these are the ungodly who prosper in the world they increase in riches verily here he is very honest i have cleansed my heart in vain and i have washed my hands in innocency For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. And when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. So Asaph begins this psalm. Let's pray that we keep our power. What do you say? (laughs) Asaph begins this psalm with with an intellectual truth, with a heartfelt, mind-centered truth. And that is something that we all have in common. He said, God is good to those who are of a pure heart. That was his footing, his foundation. However, despite this undeniable truth, almost everyone has struggled at the point of all the injustice in our world. We've all been right there. 
And so here is the worship leader. <laughs> here is the worship leader. Amen. The man that stands among us and says, come on, somebody. Let's worship the Lord. Come on, why don't we give praise and adoration unto the king of kings and this great leader and this godly man, a man who actually encourages others is now standing and struggling with some of the issues that we still face in this world. And I also wanna underline, it's very, very important to understand that this is not some immature, wishy-washy man who doesn't know whose team he's on. Amen. This is a very godly leader who is saying this. And I'm confident that we have all been there. Not only have your affirmations and amens and head nods affirm that, but what I feel in my heart affirms that. Maybe there's someone here this evening that's feeling this very way. And at the very risk of insulting your intelligence, I wanna just underline a few things this evening that I think we have to remember, especially when our faith is under fire. If we go back to what we've read, we can see something very, very important to this entire message. And that is there's always a problem when, you have, when your mind, what's in your mind and your heart doesn't match what you see and experience. When what you feel in church, let me put it another way, there's always a conflict when what you feel right here doesn't match what you experience when you walk out of here. There's kind of this strange uh, phenomenon that takes place in our mind and our heart. And so Asaph opens this passage by saying, God is good to them who have a clean heart. Now that's a truth. Amen, that is a central truth. But then he began to goes on and, and describes the unfairness and the injustice that he sees in life. And so when what we believe in our head and what we see with our eyes don't match up, there will be conflict. It's all right to say amen. You know, people say, I know we're not supposed to question God, but I have a question. <laughs> and I think in the right spirit, it's okay to have a question. We're fearfully and wonderfully made, and he knows that sometimes the conflicts of our life really do birth questions in our spirit. And I realize this is a, a, a blanket statement of sorts, but we often trust what we see more than what we believe. We often trust what we see more than what we believe. And so here is Asaph that opens up and says, I know God is just and I know God is fair to them who have a pure heart. That was what he knew in his heart. That's what he knew in his mind. But then in verse two, his eyes and his experience blurs the vision and he says, I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, when Asaph focused on things, he coveted things. Because he said, I was envious at the foolish, and when I saw the and I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And so his ability to see clearly was affected by his own sin. Now I know it seems a little brutal to tag the word sin right here at verse two. I mean, we're right out of the gate, but it's really the truth that what clouded his judgment was the sin of his own life. And I say sen because of Exodus 20 and 17, the 10th of the commandments that says thou shalt not covet. 
And so when he got his eyes on things, he started envying things. And those things or the spirit of envy for those things began to cloud the judgment of what he had already said. I know God will bless those that are pure. And so if we don't recognize this sin in our lives, then we set ourselves up to stumble. In verses four and five, he said, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. Amen. It just seems like everything is well in their lives. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Wow, what a worldview that Asaph has here. Have you ever heard this? The rich get and the poor get. <laughs> wow. It's almost like we've been talking about this at lunch and then we just came together tonight to agree, right? I realize that's how it appears and, and, and sometimes our judgment is clouded. But the fact of the matter is everyone struggles. When sin creeps into our lives, we open ourselves really to the spirit of deception. That's the absolute truth. And the devil begins to deceive us and change our our, our, the lens through which we see life. And the, true, the truth of the matter is, is that, that there may be people that are in a better financial situation than you and I are in this evening. They may be in better health. That may be undeniable truths. But the lie is that they have no problems. Now, there may be some that don't have any financial problems and you're struggling with finances. But I'll promise you, if you just keep pilfering through, they have some other problems. Amen. And so we look on and on and on, so no one really is problem-free. When you read verses 13 through 16, you find statements like this. Asaph says, I've cleansed my heart in vain. (laughs) All the day long have I been plagued. Then in utter despair, he says this, when, when, when I try to understand this, he said, it's just too painful for me. Now, that just sounds like, doesn't sound like a Bible character to me. It sounds like somebody out of this very century that we're living in. Asaph is saying it's just not worth it. All the pull, all the struggle, all the toil, all the labor, the unrighteous live an ungodly life and seemingly only that only leads them to more wealth or more prosperity or more fame or more this or more that. But the, and, and the truth of the matter is we've all stood right here at this intersection. Amen. As a matter of fact, since I've been talking about this, you've probably even thought of somebody. You may have a name and a face in in your mind's eye right now. Close that eye, would you? Amen. Stay in church with me just a little while. We've thought of somebody that just seems like the more unrighteous they live, the more blessed they are. And just whatever they touch, amen, just seems like it turns to gold. I hear people often talking about this venture or that venture and how hot this commodity is and how well this is doing and how well that is doing. And I often tell them, if you want to watch that plummet, I'll sign up for it. And in 90 days, it'll be non-existent. I sound like ASAP, don't I? 
You, you want to see something fall from the heavenlies down to the dirt, just let me get involved in it. Amen. That's how I feel. Lord, have mercy. Bless me. Forgive me, Lord, my little poor pitiful self here tonight. <laughs> here's what we have to keep in mind. We're, we're only, when we get in this frame of mind, here's what we have to understand is that we're only seeing one minuscule portion of this picture. We're just getting a, just a small glimpse. You know, I know we're blessed this evening to have some of our young people in this service, in this corporate service. And so I know to them when I say something like 50 years or 60 years or 70 years, that seems like 14 lifetimes. But there are some people here tonight that don't think that's so long. And so when you think about the span of life, 70, or if by reason of strength there be 80, life in and of itself, a single life on average is just a flash in the pan. It's just a blink of an eye. It's just a moment in time. And so we don't see the whole picture. Now even if you just embrace what has been said up to this moment, there's still a very, very important question that's laid on the table, and that is this. When we're walking through a valley like this or when we're walking through a season of our lives like this, how do we continue to live a life that glorifies God? Because I believe that we're called on to live a life that glorifies God. And that glorification of the Lord is not and should not be predicated upon which way the wind is blowing. We shouldn't step out on our front porch proverbially and, and lift our finger in the air to see which way the wind's blowing to decide what kind of day we're gonna have. God is worthy of glory. God is worthy of all praise. I'm preaching to people or talking to people tonight that know what it's like to feel really prompted to go to that altar in the morning and pray and have a little talk with Jesus. And other times you have to push yourself to that altar. It doesn't flow so easily. It's not, it doesn't fit. You were just here yesterday. You were just there 24 hours before and it all seemed so natural and today it just seems so awkward but you just press on anyway. And so how, how then do we live a life in this season of uncertainty, a life that glorifies the Lord? I believe the answer is probably many places in the Bible, but not the least of which would be Ephesians 6, 13 and 14. The Bible says, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, verse 14 begins with one word, stand. When, how do we live a life that glorifies God in seasons of uncertainty? How do we live a life that still lets the power and the majesty and the richness and the wealth of all of God's blessings and grace. When our faith is under fire, how do we still live a life that does that? We stand. We just stand. There may be times and even seasons of our lives when we are not running through troops and leaping over walls, but something has, something powerful emanates from our lives by simply standing, when we are holding our ground. Amen, what is it that enables us to stand when our faith is under attack? I think the answer is gonna be found in verse 17 of Psalm 73. Amen. We read all of these verses and for the sake of time, I didn't read them one by one, but Asaph 
looks at the prosperity of the wicked and his faith is under attack. My feet almost slipped. And then in verse 17, he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Now you have to understand this. Asaph was a righteous man and a godly man. And so this is not a man warming his his hands over the fire of somebody else's demise. No, no, no. This is not somebody saying, well, live it up because you're gonna burn in hell. No. When God helped him to understand the bigger picture, he realized how short life really is and how much he really had. Something powerful happened to him. He's seeing and not understanding all those things until the Bible says he entered in the sanctuary of the Lord. And I'm thankful for the privilege to enter in. This is not my message, but David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. When an illegitimate child was born into a family, they could not go into the house of God for 10 generations, amen. And so David understood that. And if you read the last chapter, the last verses of the book of Ruth, and you see the lineage of David, you realize that it was in David's generation that he could go back into the house of the Lord. Amen. And so we're happy, and I hope they are not embarrassed by this, but we're very happy to have Brother and Sister Cooper tonight. Amen. And, 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 and because of health issues and many other things they've been through for several months, even a few years now. Amen, they understand the value of being here. It wasn't without great struggle. I'm not trying to embarrass you or anybody here tonight that has crawled through some sickness. My Aunt Bobby here this evening that, amen, has clawed her way to be in this house when you are not able to come, when you wanna get into the house and you can't get into the house, Amen. Sister Davis is here tonight. She has, has, has had some struggles and not able to come to every service as has been her custom for decades. And so on Sunday morning when we're here and she's not here, there is an absence here, but there's also an absence in her heart. And so she understands, these people understand, I was glad when they said unto me, it's church time and we can go into the house of the Lord. Amen, I want to to remind you of something that I said at the beginning of this Bible study. Asaph was the worship leader and it it seems just reasonable to me as the worship leader that he would be a regular attendee to the house of God and so I'm sure, amen, that there are some here this evening that come here on a regular basis but yet you struggle with the same things that Asaph struggled with because there's a difference between just showing up to church and coming to church. (laughs) Because I preach to some people that just showed up. They never got here. Amen. Or that's how it seems from this vantage point. Because they were sad and droopy and dreary when they walked in and they were sad, droopy and dreary when they left out. So they showed up, but they didn't come to church, amen. And so let's, let's move, can I get you back? Amen. 
Can I get you back? But there's a difference between just being here in body and being here in mind and spirit. When we come to church, I say, Lord, give me ears to hear. Let me hear what the spirit is gonna speak in this church. God works in very distinctive ways. And there is something that God does in us in the midst of corporate worship, in the midst of corporate preaching, in the midst of corporate teaching that typically does not happen apart from that. I know we can sing at home. I know we can pray at home. I know we can study our Bible at home. I'm, I'm not debating all that, but there's something that happens. There is a synergy that happens when we come into the house of the Lord. Amen. The Spirit of God can speak either through song or testimony or the preach word of God or as in Sunday morning, amen, through tongues and interpretation. The Spirit of God can touch us. Amen. And so that typically would not happen outside of a corporate service. And so I'm thankful that we come into the house of God and we enter into the house of God with God's people and we come into his presence in a unique way and he helps us view life from a different lens and that is through the eyes of faith. I have been encouraged before just by coming to church. Amen. Being here, being a part of, of the service. And I, I, I'm not trying to take away from uh, our website ministry or our CD ministry and things of that nature, but there's something significant about being in the house of God. And so when we start to view life through the eyes of faith, then we start seeing things from God's perspective. And it's from this perspective that things of this world can be seen in the proper way. We'll be able to view the pleasures of this world appropriately as well as the pains of this world. The psalm goes on to say that when he entered the sanctuary of God and came into his presence, he began to understand even more than just their end. He began to understand the, the eternity of the wicked. Let's, let's look at verses 18 through 20. He said, surely thou did set them in, a slippery, in slippery places. Thou cast them down into destruction. How are they brought into destruction as in a moment and utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awaketh. So, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. And so while they may enjoy earthly pleasures, it will just be for a season. Amen. A season of time. And I, I've said, and I'm not trying to be uncouth, but I've said recently, I think even publicly, but beyond that privately, that I have held the hands of several people in their dying moments. And at that moment, they weren't worried about the price of gas. At that moment, they were not concerned with how much money they have in the bank or they weren't concerned with what things they have in this world. There's only one concern, and that is... Am I right with my maker? Am I right? Now we can't forget how this psalm started. He said, my foot almost slipped and now he sees the reality of the situation and, and he realizes that the wicked are on slippery ground at best. When we see from God's perspective, then we no longer envy what someone has. When you realize if that's all you have, it's gonna perish. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. 
My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Amen. And so he sees the reality of that and we see it from God's perspective and as a matter of fact, then you can pity that against eternal life, understanding the hope that we've been given and the help that is firm in the seasons of doubt. And so as we view things from God's perspective, we not only understand the eternity of the wicked, but we also see the sinfulness of our own lives. In verse 21, he said, thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast. I was as a beast before thee. So when he went into the sanctuary of the house of the Lord, he began to see the frailty of life and frailty of those things that had just a moment ago held him hostage. And then in the presence of the Lord, he said, I was foolish. I was ignorant. He said, I was a beast or as a beast before thee. And that's pretty strong language. But when we're in the presence of the Lord, we see our sin more clearly and we can repent of it. You know, if you think about Isaiah among many, but if you think about Isaiah, Isaiah was one of the godliest men in Israel. However, when he came into the presence of the Lord, he saw his sin. And at that moment of being in the presence of the Lord, he said, woe is me for I because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. So this is not a passage of damnation but rather it's a passage of hope. When I see our sinfulness or when we see our sinfulness and we have the promise then of John one and nine. So when, we, when Isaiah saw his sinfulness, he was not just left there as a hostage to his sin because of the passage of 1 John 1 and 9, John said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And so when we come to church, here it is in a nutshell, and we feel the presence of God and God's powerful hand begins to move in our, in our lives and we see error in our own lives and we, the, we see the sin of our own lives. The Bible says that we don't really have to go home all condemned about that and Right? Because he said if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So he didn't reveal our sins to us to have us by the nap of the neck. He revealed our sins to us so that we could confess those sins and that he could forgive us of our sins. Is that all right? I mean, he doesn't convict us to condemn us. He gives us the ability to be free from our sinfulness. And so to him that knoweth to do good, doeth it not to him, it becomes sin. And so when God begins to reveal things to me and as I begin to see that light, I am accountable for that light. Amen. And so that's why you need to be real careful when you look across the aisle and you see somebody else doing something you don't agree with. Maybe you see something they don't see. So how about keep your black robe of judgment hanging in the closet for a while? As a matter of fact, you ought to just auction it off. And so when I am account, when I see that, I am accountable to me. And so finally, as we see from God's perspective, we begin to understand mercy and grace in a different way. And so here's what now, if you just continue to read a moment ago, 
a man's feet that were slipping, a man that was envious, a man that was almost bitter in spirit. Then all of a sudden, as he begins in the sanctuary of the God, in verse 23, here was his revelation. They have this, but he said, this is what I have. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom I have in heaven, whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and the, my portion forever. For lo, they that are afar from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all thy works. They have this, but I have this. They have something that will fail, but I have you who never faileth. And so God is good even when it doesn't seem, life doesn't seem fair. If it only doesn't seem fair because, or it only doesn't seem fair because, as I mentioned a moment ago, we, we don't see the whole picture even as God does. And so when we understand this, then we face the difficulties or when we're faced with disappointments of, of some circumstances, I promise you this, that just because we've talked about this tonight and just because you've agreed with me, it doesn't mean we're in the clear. It doesn't mean these feelings won't come blasting their way back in our lives. There are still gonna be seasons that it's just emotionally hard. It just doesn't make sense. However, our consolation comes in knowing that even in the midst of what we're facing, God is working things out in our life according to his grace and his mercy. If our musicians would come. When we begin to understand that, it doesn't take out all the pain and it certainly doesn't erase disappointment, but it does help us move beyond it more quickly and stand firm in our faith. Now, I close with a confession and I close with what normally would have been my opening. This particular psalm was a part of my daily Bible reading this morning. And I enjoy reading the scripture while I listen to the scripture at the same time. So this morning I was reading through several of the Psalms, concluding with Psalm 73. When I got to this very familiar passage, I listened to it this morning and I knew that was the end of my daily reading portion. But just, I felt compelled to just hit and play it one more time. But this time I want to read it line by line, verse by verse, and I want to lean in. And maybe that's what prompted me to teach on this tonight. Maybe I, I needed this, even if you didn't. 
I needed to read this this morning. And I needed to talk about this tonight. I needed to hear this passage one more time to just pack the soil of this eternal truth tight around my heart. And I will tell you furthermore, I certainly needed to be in God's presence with God's people this evening. God is good even when I don't understand it all. I know that's true. David, or Asaph said, truly God is good to Israel even to such as are of a clean heart. That was his intellectual truth, his intellectual understanding. And then he takes this long wayward journey of ifs and whys and I don't get it. And then somehow he clawed himself to the sanctuary. And it was in the sanctuary he not only understood their end, but he understood his end. Amen. Let's stand together. Several months ago, Brother Kenneth Raley stood behind this very desk and he shared an illustration, if I remember right, an illustration from his pastor when he was just a child. He said, if you stand in the middle of a railroad track and you look straight ahead, it gives the illusion in time that the tracks touch. You guys remember that? And he said, it's at that moment that you have to trust in what you know and not what you see. Because you know if the train runs on this track, they do not touch. And so you have to stand on what you know and not what you see. Asaph, why were you in this muddy, muddy place? It was because he started trusting more in what he was seeing than what he knew. Amen? Amen. Why don't you just make an altar where you're standing there this evening? Amen. Can we just ask God to strengthen us? Maybe your faith is under fire here tonight. I've just come to undergird that with some truth from the word of God and let his truth strengthen us. Let his truth, let it pack the soil, weave around our heart and let it affirm the things in our lives. We know, God, that there is hope in your word. We know, God, that we are not investing in this world. We're not driving our tent stakes deep in the soil of this world because we're just passing through, Lord. I'm asking you to anoint us and touch us now. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. 
Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.